Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, despite the calendar clearly showing we're still in August, the pumpkin spice creep has officially begun, and this year it's earlier than ever. Starbucks released its pumpkin spice latte this week, and I'm not going to lie, I was totally into it this year. It's 2020, people, and frankly, all bets are off. Have you jumped on the PSL already? What's the craziest pumpkin spice latte thing you've seen? That's what I'm asking over on the What She Said Facebook page today. So after today's show, jump on over and share. But first, I've got a great lineup of guests today, starting with Dr. Michael O'Connor, who joins me to share information about a rare childhood eye disease called VKC, which can have long-term implications if not caught early. From a young age, we learn that kindness can make all the difference in your life and in the lives of others. But unfortunately, we sometimes forget that. Dr. Natasha Sharma is on a mission to make emotional health and personal self-development mainstream. And today she joins me to discuss the Kindness Journal, a daily way to bring a little more kindness into your life that will reduce your stress. And I think we can all agree we could use a little more kindness with ourselves and with others. The incomparable Anne Brody joins me this week with a brilliant interview with Rachel Lefebvre from The Sounds on Acorn TV. And I'm not going to lie, Anne was fangirling a little bit over this super smart actress. Plus, some incredible new releases you absolutely won't want to miss, like the long-awaited Bill and Ted Face the Music, Christopher Nolan's original sci-fi action spectacle Tenant, and perhaps the best version of David Copperfield ever with Dev Patel. Money's too tight to mention, right? Wrong. Canada's money coach Judith Kane thinks you need to get a handle on your spending right now. But also don't panic because it can be managed. Judith joins me to share some of her best tips for managing your money during these very difficult economic times. In an unexpected twist for many parents, homeschooling is now a part of their life, and it's causing a little anxiety for those who have never done it before. Stephanie Sewell is just the voice you need to hear right now. She joins me with words of wisdom for those about to embark on teaching from home. Finally, women everywhere may be asking their partners where their book is after they hear my interview with Jason DeRocca who wrote a book called My Mom, My Superhero for his wife and daughter to share together. It's a sweet story you'll want to share with your kids too. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get rolling with what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. sponsored by Santon Canada, Inc., as part of their ongoing commitment to eye care. Dr. O'Connor is participating in the interview representing his own medical and professional views. Dr. Michael O'Connor is the Department Chief of Ophthalmology at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario and the Director for the Pediatric Ophthalmology and Strabismus Fellowship. Today, we're discussing VKC, an eye condition parents need to be aware of. Welcome to the show, Dr. O'Connor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
So considering how I just massacred strabismus, I'm not even going to try and say what VKC stands for. I'll leave that to you. Why don't you tell me what it means? Perfect. So VKC is vernal keratoconjunctivitis. So big, big word. Right. What does it mean? Okay. So, so the vernal rep- refers to springtime. And that's typically when the symptoms of this disease are at their worst. And the conjunctivitis, carado refers to the cornea, which is the surface clear transparent layer on the surface of the eye. And the conjunctivitis part refers to the conjunctiva, which is the thin membrane that covers the white part of our eyes. Uh, and the itis part, of course, is inflammation. So an inflammation of the cornea and the conjunctiva and the classic description is it occurs in the springtime. Okay, so why is it then that parents need to be aware of VKC in particular? So this is a disease that typically affects young children. Uh, And so it's something that often affects children at an age when they'll have trouble describing exactly what their symptoms are, um, or parents will have difficulty recognizing maybe what the problem is or even how severely it's affecting the child. So you mentioned springtime so and, and allergies, and so parents might confuse this for an allergic reaction? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. So the, although the classic description, the name is a bit of a misnomer as a springtime conjunctivitis, it really is something that can occur anytime, but tends to flare during allergy season. And in that way, it really is an allergic eye disease. Um, the difference is that it can be more severe and vision-threatening when we compare it with something like what we call a seasonal allergic conjunctivitis, which would just be kind of your run, run-of-the-mill, itchy red eyes, maybe bothersome, but not vision-threatening. So does VKC come and go, or is it something that once you get it, it stays and then progressively gets worse? Yeah, so um, VKC, as I mentioned, typically comes on in younger children. Uh, you can have it for, as a first presentation in older children as well, but typically young school-age children would uh, show up with it uh, at initial presentation. And there's the, the patients can kind of divide into a few groups. So the classic description is this really affects patients through the spring, summer, and into fall would be the most typical. And then in the winter, the symptoms kind of subside on their own. Uh, For a significant portion of patients, though, maybe around a quarter of patients, the symptoms can keep going through the whole year. Um, And there there are other patients who have these kind of on and off periods, as you alluded to. So sort of these seasonal exacerbations where it never really goes away, but it's worse maybe in the spring and sometimes maybe in the fall. Okay, so if, as a parent then, what are sort of the signs and symptoms? What should you be looking for if you think your child may, may have this? So the, the classic symptoms um, when the disease is mild really overlap what we'd think of as a run-of-the-mill seasonal allergic conjunctivitis. So you can imagine kind of itchy eyes, eyes are red, a little bit of discharge, But when the disease becomes more severe, especially when it begins to affect the cornea, which has a lot of nerves, is very sensitive, um, the patients will develop, you know, symptoms that you'd think of as as more severe. So sensitivity to light, difficulty opening the eyes, a lot of discharge, um, 
struggling particularly in the mornings uh, to get the eyes open and being sensitive with light coming into their bedroom maybe or or coming into a room where that's well lit, uh, those would all be signs that this is something more than a regular conjunctivitis. Um, children whose vision does not seem normal or who are complaining of their vision being blurred uh, and uh, children who complain about pain uh, or, um, uh, or discomfort, sometimes the eyelid can even appeal, appear to be droopy because the swelling in the eyelid becomes so significant. So, you know, parents are, you know, I'm sure parents are listening to this right now saying, holy cow, something else I need to can be concerned about right now. Uh, but, you know, how prevalent is, is this in children? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, so this is a relatively rare eye condition. So, it, you know, we don't have a, a good handle because like many uncommon conditions, we don't have a good handle on exactly how many children in Canada, for example, would be uh, affected, but it's estimated to be around 1% of all eye disease. So it's not a high uh, proportion. However, because it can be vision threatening in its more severe forms, it's worth thinking about if if you have if your child has seems to have a problem that hasn't been diagnosed that fits those symptoms. Would this be something that would be picked up at a regular visit to your eye doctor? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it absolutely would be. So this is something that can be picked up with the combination of symptoms, typical symptoms, along with a careful eye exam, uh, looking for the characteristic signs. One of the tricks is though that when the disease is undiagnosed and is uh, significant, um, these children often become very sensitive to light. So it actually, the exam itself, especially in small children, can be pretty challenging at the beginning while the disease is active. Okay, so um, parents then if they want to know more about this or, you know, if they suspect, uh, where can they go to read up on this? And then, and then what they, I, I guess you're going to tell me they should go for an eye exam. Uh, but where can yeah. they go to maybe read a little bit more about this? Yeah, so, if, you know, if you want to get more information on it, one of the best sites, I think, for families um, is a United Kingdom site, um, Allergy UK, as in Allergy United Kingdom. Dot org, uh, and they have a little article called "Lifting the Lid on Vernal Keratoconjunctivitis," and it's good family-directed uh, information on the condition. Okay, wonderful. I appreciate you uh, joining me today to share this. I know we had we had some scheduling conflicts. You're busy at the hospital, so I really appreciate you taking the time for this. Um, and uh, we're going to put the link up for that website for people to go check it out. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Sunshine. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Dr. Natasha Sharma is the creator of the best-selling The Kindness Journal, co-founder of The 8-Hour Therapist, a Canadian TV media personality, and owner of NKS Therapy. She is a leading international authority on the psychology of relationships, parenting, and happiness. Her TEDx talk, 
why what we feel matters more than what we think has over a quarter million views on YouTube and what is one of the most popular TEDx talks. Natasha's mission is to make emotional health and personal self-development mainstream. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in because, you know, we all are feeling this. What's the number one thing women can be doing right now for a more happier and more positive life? Well, I always say if I had to narrow it down to one tip that I could give, not just women, but anybody, um, but particularly women, it would be to have a sense of unconditional self-acceptance. And that literally means that you are always... Uh, accepting and um, self-caring, self-appreciative, and self-loving. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be proud of everything that you do. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect or devoid of making mistakes. It's, and it doesn't mean that others will always be okay and unconditionally accept you. And that's fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. But for us, we need to have the ability to completely, um, without any conditions, be able to love ourselves without any, uh, yeah, with, with unconditional acceptance. That would be so, my <laughs> I think that's one of those things that in theory to me sounds very nice. Yes. Uh, but you know, when you wake up in the morning and you throw the covers off, you don't just wake up one day and say, that's it. I'm going to love myself unconditionally. It yeah. sounds like there might be a little bit of work or some steps involved into getting to that space and maintaining that, that level of comfort with yourself. So how do we do that? It, I think some of that comes naturally as we get older. You know, there is sort of a natural development uh, that happens in that area as we become a little bit more mature, emotionally, cognitively, but we can get out in front of it even as young people by understanding that we're built to make mistakes. And um, we've sort of transitioned as a society to be very critical and very achievement focused. So this combination and, um, hasn't been very good for our ability to tolerate our own um, challenges or weaknesses. And we've become afraid of weaknesses, almost allergic to having vulnerabilities and negative emotions. But we have to realize that those are very much a part of the human condition. And um, I think we used to live in a more accepting way of them. Um, but recently, again, because we've become so focused on the positive and achievement that we've, we've sort of subsequently become unaccepting of that. So I think it, it is a process of reorganizing your mindset and how you actually view yourself how you view the world and how you view your interactions with the world. And it, it, it can come more difficult to some people and easier to some. So, I mean, you recently sent me your kindness journal and, uh, you know, this is something that I've practiced for, for a few years now is sort of a gratitude journal and being mindful, which I think is a great, um, a great way to recognize the good, even in not necessarily such a good situation. So how does the kindness journal work then? So it's basically a daily journal that's prompted. So um, I love journaling and I, I created it because I really love journaling, but I'm not a huge fan of the blank page all the time. And I found that could be a little daunting. So I wanted a journal that could actually was based on science around creating a more positive mindset and more positive and optimistic outlook. And I've done a lot of research in that area in my career. So it was really important for me to build a tool that could actually help people develop that at home. Um, like like you say, take the actual steps to make that happen. So it's a daily journal that takes about six minutes to write in every night. 
And there's the same prompted entries every night. So you're filling in the same entries, but of course what you write down will be different. But it, it, the entries are based on the science, the, the actual evidence-based science around um, positive uh, psychology, how to create a happy, more calm and content life. And it basically prompts the, uh, the person journaling to refocus at the end of the day to what was positive and what was good about the day. It's not, a lot of people shy away from the idea of positive thinking or the concept because they think it's about um, viewing everything as a positive and not seeing anything in a negative way. And that's not what it means at all. Um, to have a positive outlook and lifestyle is to actually recognize, you know that there are negatives in life. There will always be, right? I'm in the middle of a pandemic for, for you know, for crying out loud. But it's to try as much as possible to keep negatives in moderation and to not let them completely um, inflame up to some uh, blown up level or that becomes monumental and kind of takes over. And the idea is to shift your focus and choose to refocus over to what is positive, even if that's really small, like even if you're having the, one of the worst days ever, there's bound to be something small that's positive in it. And so it, it's that idea. It, it forces you to reshift at the end of the night, which over time, if you continue to write in it, primes your mindset to begin doing that more naturally without needing to be prompted. Okay. So if people want to find the kindness journal, then where can they find that? So you can purchase it on our website at thekindnessjournal.com. It's also available on Amazon, but I encourage people to go to our website and subscribe and buy it there because we offer a lot of promos to our email subscribers and um, you can get it, you know, different kinds of events and sales. Um, we're also launching the eight hour therapist there, which is going to be an amazing way for people to um, self-counsel at home at a very affordable and effective way. Um, you can also find us on Instagram uh, at The Kindness Journal and then my own personal websites, Dr. Nat uh, sorry, natashasharma.com and then on Instagram, Dr. Natasha Sharma. Okay, wonderful. We're going to put all that up on social. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. No for Saturday night at the movies, <laughs> Anne Brody. And Anne, you have an exclusive interview with Rochelle Lefebvre from The Sounds, which airs on Acorn TV on CBC, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's listen to that That's first. great. All right, The Sounds is a very um, uh, engaging, sometimes dark, and really mysterious series. You, fl you play a Canadian woman who flies down there to be with her husband to start a new business. He disappears. A woman's body shows up. There's just threat everywhere. So she's dealing with this mm -hmm. dark, com complex situation. Uh, so what was the shoot like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, um, 
it was, I mean, everything you've just, it was everything you've just described and emotionally, you know, uh, grueling. And I was put through the ringer and thank God for uh, Peter Stebbings, our director who carried me. Um, but also, um, but also it was, it was like two worlds because I had New Zealand, which was this glorious place and just beautiful. And everyone I was mm -hmm. working with was kind and collaborative. And um, so it was like really satisfying on a personal level. And then um, in terms of the actual experience uh, and the emotions, um, the sort of emotional roller coaster of, of playing that role, uh, it was incredibly challenging and really, really, really hard. And, uh, Plus, it was pretty physical uh, for you. It was. It was also, it was physical both in the fact that there was a lot of physical activity in the show. There's a lot of, you know, built a lot of like running and outdoors stuff and stunts and things like that. Um, and then also it was physical because I was just working crazy hours. It was, you know, just on my feet for, you know, 16 hours a day, um, wow. just kind of being racked. So yeah. And it was trying a, to be a, a mom challenge. too at the same time. And trying to be a mom at the same time, but um, well, I'm, I'm sending you a medal, so there you go. Oh, <laughs> a medal. Well, well, you know, I, on the one hand, I want to receive that. On the one hand, I want to receive that medal, and on the other hand, as I'm fond of saying, you know, I, I'm a woman and I'm a mother, and we just get it done. Yeah, um, how true. I think that you know, yeah, we're all in a time now. I think where you know everybody that I that I know is finding out what they're made of. Um, and I won't take anything away from other people. Um, I will not take away from parents um, or, you know, anyone who doesn't identify as a woman, but I'm always obviously gonna, in addition, speak for the sisterhood and the motherhood because that's where I feel a kindred spirit at the moment. And we'll say that um, mothers just, women in general and mothers, just do hard things and have incredible capacity. And we do that no matter what. So I don't need, I'll, I'll take the medal, it'll hang it on my wall, but I don't necessarily need it. I share it with everyone um, because I, I'm just astounded on a regular basis by the endurance and, and, and exceeding capacity of the women around me. Um, and, and also the mothers who have this added dimension. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a shared strength I can no longer kind of take take credit for. I know too much now. <laughs> it isn't it's, it's an incredible strength, and it isn't unique to me. Well, you know, and also Maggie is in this town that, that is so intertwined and interconnected uh, with good and bad things, and personalities, and and events that reverberate past decades and whatnot. Um, and she becomes a hero. She's almost like a healer. She wants to help people. She's not even like, I want to help. She just does. She just does help. And she puts herself on the line for everybody, including um, herself. And I just think she's a wonderful female for television. So kudos. Oh, thank you. I... Um I feel that way too. And I actually feel like one of the things that's an important part of that equation is that um, Maggie also makes a lot of mistakes and she does things. Uh, she does, sometimes she does the wrong thing for the right reason. Mm -hmm. And sometimes she does the thing that's right for her for the wrong reason. <laughs> um, and, but one of the things that was so important to me in that moment was that she should have agency. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm a lot of the time find myself sort of screaming at the TV um, when I yes. watch things where women make bad choices and have to be redeemed by the storyline being that they were manipulated or um, taken advantage of. We redeem women's bad choices by making them victims. And it was really important to me that Maggie be, um, be full of all of the things that women are, which is agency. And that means that sometimes we make the right choice and sometimes we make the wrong choice. But if it's for our own reasons and we can be held accountable, then that is what I think is that that's equality. Um, yes, and, and that's what strength. I wanted for her. I wanted the audience to feel free not to like her when she did the wrong thing and then like her again when she did the right thing. They could be yeah. both mad at her and embrace her. Okay, wonderful, Anne. Thanks so much for bringing that to us this week. Uh, I'm excited to actually watch the sounds, but tell me what else we cannot miss this week. Huge week. Two massive releases. One, Tenet from Christopher Nolan. It's been long awaited. This is it. It's about time and space intertwining back and forth as this man carries out a mission. This man is John David Washington, Isaiah's, uh, Denzel's son, which is incredible. He is the lead. Um, and there, it's a great cast with Michael Caine, Kenneth Branagh. Um, and it's, it's sort of different realities, different dimensions, the way Christopher has has done it before in for instance inception if you saw that he also did dunkirk but uh yeah that's what everyone's waiting for it's actually a mix of imax and 70 millimeter film wow the other one i want people to see and there's been a lot of waiting years for bill and ted face the music <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to see that one. Literally cannot wait. Keanu Reeves is awesome, dude. <laughs> everything to me. Keanu Reeves, I love him. So I can't wait to see that one. And it's just got that same energy and, and like false dumbness that is really smartness on these guys' parts. And we meet people like, get this, in their quest to save the world. Jesus, Jimi Hendrix, Mozart, Queen Elizabeth, Amelia Earhart, Marie Curie, Kubla Khan. Mind-bending. It's so funny. Fantastic. And the other one that really caught my eye was Copperfield with Dev Patel. I you know Dev Patel. Yes. And this is really interesting. It's completely racially diverse. Everyone is intermixed and mingled in London back in, in the days in the century ago, two centuries ago. And it just looks so natural. And I'm sure it was like that then. And David, as you know, has this incredible history. He, he goes through life he becomes rich, he becomes poor, back and forth and up and down, and he's always looking for happiness. It is wonderful. Amazing. Okay, so you've got all of this, and then you've got a bunch more because the, the hits just keep on coming. Like, COVID's not slowing down entertainment. So it's all, it's in, what, it's all in what she said talk.com this week. Thank you, Anne, for joining me. We'll see you again Thanks, next week. Thanks, Candace. Am I falling in love with the one that could break my heart? More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
Judith Kane is Canada's money coach and has worked with thousands of clients to create a clear picture of their financial situation, build a realistic spending and savings plan, implement a get out of debt and stay there strategy, and finally help them begin to achieve their financial goals. Five months into this pandemic, the economic realities are hitting hard for many women. So today we're going to get the straight goods on financial freedom, even when times are tight. Welcome to the show, Judith. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so nice to see you. I am so happy to have you here. I'm a little jealous. You're out on the East Coast, one of my favorite places. I am. I know you snuck in a trip last year and uh, it is beautiful. And we're having a beautiful, although dry summer. I think we've only had a couple of rain days in seven weeks. And so the farmers are suffering, but it is beautiful today. Oh, nice. Nice. So I listen, I'm just, I'm guessing, call me crazy. I'm guessing there's a lot of uh, need for you right now uh, with the current economic situation. Well, it is busy. It's interesting. It is busy. You know what I'm finding, Candice, is that a lot of people are are so shell-shocked by what's happened over the last six months or five months that um, they don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. So bills are piling up, you know, they're relying on curb, they're paying the essentials, sometimes they're having binges on, on online shopping. I mean, my God, when this first started, they couldn't find delivery guys, they couldn't find people to work in fulfillment centers. And I have to tell you that there was a woman on the floor of the apartment building that I live on, and she would get one, two, or three packages a day. It would be a joke when I'd go to walk the dog at six o'clock in the morning to see what packages were there and to find out what she got for the day. Um, It slowed down a bit, although I have to say this week, there's been a couple of packages each day. So, you know, I think that people just were, they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think, well, for me, uh, it was the fallout was fast on that one. and Instant. Right. And I think, you know, that whole saving for a rainy day scenario, um, I think even that maybe shocked some people who did save for a rainy day and were still surprised the rain just kept coming. Pouring. sort of unlike anything we've had before. So now that we're, you know, adjusting to this reality, some people are out of jobs, we've got one household incomes. Um, Let's start with uh, your best advice. Uh, So what, what do you recommend for people to do right now if they're trying to get control of their finances? Well, you know, it's difficult to sort of give one answer because everybody is in a different situation. There's people who still have their jobs that are earning money and don't have any debt. There's people who are earning money and do have debt. Uh, there's people who are trying to rely on CERB or CURB and, um, again, don't have debt or have debt. So the, for the people who are working, have money coming in and they have debt, now, well, actually the last five months, was the time to really put their hammer in and get that debt paid off because let's face it, you weren't buying clothes unless you were shopping online. Um, You weren't going out and uh, using your car. You weren't going out and spending money on entertainment. Your kids weren't spending thousands of dollars on kids activities. Um, You know, perhaps your alcohol bill went up, I don't know, and your grocery <laughs> bill. But but for the most part, your large spending wasn't happening. And so it was, it is, still is a good time because we're still not back to where we were. But it's a great time to, to implement a plan to really hammer down that debt and get out of it. Okay, so let's say somebody lost their job then. 
uh, you know, they've gone from a two, two income household to one, um, sort of what would, what would be the first things they should be looking at to get control of their finances? Um, absolutely starting to look at their spending. So look at the last, you know, I mean, we're five months into this so that you do have experience. You could look at the last three months of your spending and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going back to work. I thought I was going to, and I'm not going back to work. So we are a one income family for the next little while. So get a handle on your spending. Look at the last three months and categorize everything that you were spending and uh, put the income number at the top, put your needs and needs are not new shoes and a new dress and new tools. Needs are food and shelter and transportation. Those are the needs and make sure that you have those things covered off and anything that's left over is, should be used either for paying debt, paying down your debt or, um, saving money for something that potentially could happen another second wave and things shut down again. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it really is time for, for people to take care of their money and start looking at it seriously. And just looking at three months of your expenses is probably a good time, a good thing to do right now, and then create the budget from that. So you talk a lot about, you know, you and I've worked together in the past and you talked about, you know, you think everybody should be investment literate. <laughs> how do you how do you start on that path? Um, like, where do you even begin? Well, I mean, there's some really good books you could read. There's people that you can follow. There is uh, there's so much stuff online that you can that you can read and that you can see YouTube videos. You have to be careful about who you're following and you have to be careful that they don't entice you into, you know, moving up the next level and buying their $20,000 program, um, which I had unfortunately have had a couple of clients that have done. Uh, but financially literate means understanding your investment statement. So when it comes in, you open it up and you don't just kind of, well, first of all, you open it up. I know, I can't tell you how many women I know who just take the envelope and go, yep, I'm just trusting my guy or girl and I'm just going to put it in the drawer. Open it up and look at it. And if you don't understand every single thing that's on that statement, you phone your investment advisor because that's what you're paying those fees for. You phone them and say, I don't understand what this means. What does PE mean? What does the performance mean? Is that what I actually got back uh, from owning this investment, anything that you don't understand, you need to call your advisor and ask them those questions. Because guess what? You're the client. So you are in control. Okay. So you talk about putting yourself first. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to tell you a lot of women struggle with this. And, um, you know, especially uh, I think moms do because, you know, they feel this need to provide for everybody else first maybe. Uh, so tell me, uh, how do you get women on board with that put yourself first? Well, um, so I think that it is really important that um, if you're going to, if you, the, so the women have to put themselves first and it doesn't mean, you know, as literal as, you know, that airplane example where people, you're supposed to put the mask on first and then help your kids with it. It doesn't have to be that literal, but I think women have to take care of themselves first, which means they need to know their financial situation. I, you know, it, it used to be um, when I worked with clients, I worked with a lot of um, older women, widows and divorcees who knew nothing about finances, right? Because their, their husbands managed everything. And so, um, you know, it was, I had to educate them about all this, 
what was happening in their financial situation. They didn't understand. And Candace, I'm shocked to this day that there are still women that come to me that are in that same situation. They really don't know what's going on. So the first thing that you have to do by taking care of yourself is understand your financial situation. Even if you and your spouse have decided that your partner is, is handling the um, investments or handling the bill payment, it doesn't matter. You need to understand what is going on in your household. And that's what I mean about women taking putting themselves first it's important for you as a woman to understand your financial situation in your family and okay. if you don't agree with it you need to talk to your partner your spouse and say listen i don't agree with the, what we're doing with our spending program or our savings program or investment program i don't agree with that so how is it that we can um, create our goals that we can achieve them together and we're both happy with it you know, I think we could probably have a whole segment on just that dynamic alone. <laughs> oh, yes. uh, I think there are a lot of couples that, I mean, we all know this, money is a huge uh, reason for divorce and a lot of couples don't discuss money. So uh, yeah, we could do a whole, whole session on that, uh, but we won't uh, today. But yes, absolutely, that needs to be top of mind. So um, any um, advice you would give women right now then in terms of you know, breaks they can catch, uh, places to save money where they may not have thought of? Sure. I mean, the first place that I always think of is telecommunication, because oftentimes, especially now when everybody's home and using Zoom, so you may have upgraded your services in terms of, you know, the speed of your internet. And um, definitely talk to your provider about bundling services. So if you have cable and a landline and internet and, and um, you know, a cell phone or set multiple cell phones, talk to your provider and see who's going to give you the best deal. Yeah. You know, find out if you're on a plan. Here's a tip that people don't realize is that if you get a new phone and it's 0%, you know, it's not zero. That's fake, right? You know, that's fake news. Okay. You're, what you're doing is you're paying it over two years. So after the second year, you need to call your cell phone company and say, Hey, I'm not paying for that phone anymore. So what is my new rate? And people yeah. don't do that. And if you don't do that, if you're paying, you know, $150 a month because you bought the newest, latest iPhone, and it's the end of the two years, you need to phone them because you're not paying for that iPhone anymore. And if you don't call them and tell them that, they'll merrily continue charging you. That's, that's just a great tip. So for people who want more tips from you and where can they find you online and on social? Yep, judithkane.com. Uh, you can see me on Twitter, Canada. Uh, Money Coach Judy, uh, Facebook, Judith Kane, Canada's Money Coach. Um, ask Candace. She knows where I am. <laughs> I know where to find you. Exactly. Thanks so much. We're going to put all that up on social, Judith. It was great to see you today. Thank you. Hey, Mr. Worry, you think it's up to you? You think you know? Stephanie Sewell is an independent education consultant that works with families who are seeking guidance. Stephanie believes that each young person deserves and is capable of co-creating an educational path that works for them. Welcome back to the show, Stephanie. Thanks, Candice. It's a pleasure to be back. So, you know, I thought this would be a perfect time to have you back because lots of moms are out there officially dipping their toes into homeschooling this year. And I thought it would be excellent to have you join me to share some of your best tips. So what's your first one? 
the first one, usually the very, very first one is breathe. <laughs> the second one that is really like 1A is homeschooling does not have to start on the first day of school. We feel yeah, there's a deadline and it's not there. That's so funny, you know, that you say that because I think that we are so used to this, you know, school starts September, the day after Labor Day. And, but, you know, we forget we're on our own. If you're homeschooling, you're on your own schedule. So you could start now, you could start in two weeks, right? Totally. What's really important is to realize that there's this kind of mass energy around the first day of school. So you and your child, no matter how excited you are about homeschooling, are going to feel a bit... <gasps> on the first day. You'll see that school bus go by and think, oh my goodness. So it's really important to have something special planned for the first day of school. There's not right. back to school picnics, there's ice cream shops, there's camping trips. Do something special that marks that day. So create your own tradition really around the first day of school. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, that's excellent. Okay, so what's your second tip then? The second one is homeschooling does not equal do school at home. As soon as you step aside from going to school, you get to invent your own way of educating yourself, your own way of educating your child, your own way of living your days. Even if you're in a province or state where there are specific requirements associated with homeschooling, you can still meet those requirements and be independent in your approach at the same time. Right. So you're not, you don't have to be confined to a desk, for example, right? You can move Absolutely. your classroom anywhere. Yep. And a lot of people right now are saying, how should I set up my homeschool space? What should my classroom be in the house? And for a lot of people, that works really well to have a space that's kind of dedicated. It's maybe a quiet space. But if your child is somebody who likes to like lie on the floor and read a book, that can be one of their homeschooling spaces or their learning spaces because they are learning while they're lying there. So there's no stress to have the perfect space. Okay, so there's a lot of parents out there right now, and I feel they're probably stressing about this one a lot, is that they're not teachers. Yep, you do not have to be a trained teacher to be a successful homeschooling parent. Trained teachers are adult humans who love being with kids and want to help them learn. Their context for doing that is school. You're an adult human who loves your kids and wants to help them learn. And your context for that is home and your family. It's a completely different thing. You are an expert in how to do that. When it comes to the academic stuff, there are lots of ways you can move through that, lots of ways of seeking help, lots of ways of turning it over to your child and their intrinsic motivation. You don't have to be a trained teacher. Just trust your gut and love your kid. So what do you say to the moms who are out there right now then thinking they have to go out and get every gadget and gizmo and get their house set up like a, like a regular school? A lot of parents, myself included, spend a lot of money when they start homeschooling. And it comes from the best place, right? We want it to be perfect. We want it to be wonderful. But really, it's almost like you want to force yourself not to spend any money at all for like the first month unless it's to sign up for an activity or maybe an online special interest class um, really you can keep the cost to an absolute minimum when you're homeschooling or you can spend lots of money on things that you'll use or things that you might not even wind up using so there's a huge range of how much it can cost 
Okay, great. So you have one last tip, and I think this one's probably the most important one, and that is what? So we're used to thinking that education is something that we do to people. We're used to thinking that learning happens when we teach. It's not, it doesn't have to be that way. Bring your child into the discussion. What's your child interested in? What do they want to learn? Where do they see themselves going? Value the things that are important to them that might have nothing to do with academics. My son spends tons of time at time outside building mountain bike trails. That's the skill set that's going to help him when he becomes an engineer, if he becomes an engineer. So bring your child in and value everything about them as a human being. So I imagine you are sharing lots of content. You're helping families right now adjust to the new norm. So if people want to know more or want to learn more about um, how you can help them, um, maybe some of the posts you share, where can they go? So they can go to my Facebook page, which is Stephanie Sewell Education. They can go to my website, which is stephaniesewell.ca. And they can get in touch with me. I book free 20-minute calls just to kind of have a little bit of a conversation and steer you into ways that I can help you or let you know that you don't need my help because you're good to go and give you a little bit of confidence in those 20 minutes. So do please get in touch. It's my favorite subject to talk about. Okay. And you help, uh, just, just to clarify, you help kids with or parents with kids of all ages, correct? Absolutely. And I also help kids themselves, particularly teens. I have a teen group that is really helpful for teens who are uh, moving through a homeschooling journey. They need that community. They need to share their experiences. So that group's a great way if you've got teens who are just starting to homeschool now as well. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining me today, Stephanie. My pleasure, Candace. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. This girl is on fire. This girl is on fire. Jason DeRocca is the creator and chief storyteller at JR Storytellers, a children's storytelling and book publishing company. He is the author of My Mom, My Superhero and co-author of Nothing But Yet. His passion and creativity as an author and storyteller derives from almost 20 years of experience in the field of childhood development and education. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. So I really, I really love this story, mostly because I think a man wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. I, get, I always get moms that come up to me like, wow, your wife must love you. And the guys are like, does it keep you off the couch? Um, I say to them, you'd be surprised. It doesn't last very long. You have to be consistent. So what inspired you to write that story then? My, my first, my firstborn, I have two little girls and, um, you know, I work with children, at a, an incredible company called Sportball, which teaches children, you know, physical literacy. And, uh, I would, while teaching them how to play sports, I would tell sports to uh, tell stories to children on the break. And, um, one of the directors called me and said, hey, listen, can we get a couple of these stories because the parents are really interested? And I said, well, I make those up. And he said, well, you should really write them down because the kids love them. And so uh, I, wrote my, I wrote my story. I didn't have the confidence to publish it until my firstborn. And um, I thought I want her to recognize the, the special bond that she has with her mother as she gets older. 
And, you know, when I, when I went through watching my wife hold on to this baby for nine months and then give birth and then nourish her and bring her to life, I was like, this is really special. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, when, whether I'm here or not, my, my daughter knows that, that that relationship should be nurtured and recognized. So this book sounds like it's not just a children's book then. It sounds like it's something to be shared between parent and child. Is that correct? 100%. Yeah, I think two things. One is for, for children to realize that the everyday superheroes are the most important. They don't all wear, wear tights and fly. You know, they take care of your needs. They love you. They, they make sure that you feel like, you know, that you're supported. And I think for parents, as they're reading the book, I hope that it calls us to be the best version of ourselves as a mother or as a father. Uh, that's it's, it's, I hope that any book that I write allows the reader, both child and parent, to get something out of it. So do you, uh, do you talk to other parents about reading to their children? What do you encourage they do with their kids every day? So I always say that reading to your children should be like brushing teeth. It should be part of their routine, like exercise. You know, if, it, if you don't do it every day, it starts to feel like a chore or it feels foreign, you know? And so you say, well, you got to go to your room and read before you go outside and play. Well, that sounds like a punishment. You know, so I want to make sure that parents understand that if they can teach children when they're very young that this is as important as brushing their teeth and taking a bath and eating healthy, exercising, reading books, then I think that they're going to be that much more better off as they get older and they pursue their, pursue their academic career and, and their passions. You know, I think we under, you know, as you were speaking there, I think we underestimate the power of books, especially in today's society with everything online. That downtime is crucial to developing minds and and developed minds like ours, you know, really to get away from that screen uh, and open up a, a physical book and read it. 100%. And you know, it, it, you're absolutely right. With everything that's happening virtually right now and pre-recorded, I don't want to have my daughter sit in front of a, another computer screen. There's something about holding a book and flipping, you know, flipping through the pages on a book um, that it takes you to a different space. It, you know, it also allows you to, to grow your, your vocabulary. You become that much more articulate. You're, you're learning new ideas. You're using a different part of your brain. And so I think it is very important. So you recently just had this book re-illustrated. So tell me, tell me about that. So, I mean, the first book that I had done, My Mom, My Superhero, I, I did on freelance.com where I had illustrators from around the world send me their illustrations to do the work. And I had a, a young man in Taiwan do it. And I flew out to Taiwan and I met with him and it was phenomenal. Um, but I wanted to have a very Canadian approach to what I, what I was doing. And so I have a, this phenomenal illustrator in Edmonton uh, named Taysen Martindale. And uh, he works with me at Sportball. So we thought, let's collaborate. Let's redo this story. And so he, his, his, uh, his illustrations are so uh, contemporary and just absolutely beautiful. And I thought, well, let's do it and let's animate it. And I want, had my daughter narrate it. So the ebook has my daughter's voice narrating it as she, she does every night. Uh, but this time we recorded it. And, uh, and he, we've partnered with uh, Tayson. So he's going to be illustrating my future books as well. Well, I want to tell you, you probably have women at home right now who are going to be going to their husbands later saying, why don't you write a book? <laughs> I, I'm not a superhero. Uh, so where can people, though, find this book? Where can they go to get it? So if you go to jrstorytellers.com, you can order the, your copy online and uh, you can get the ebook. Because of COVID, we weren't able to do any print copies until now. And so the print copies will be there in September. So you should be able to get the ebook. You can also access my other book that I wrote called Nothing But Yet, which is all about growth mindset for children. And I'm working on one more book right now with a, an executive over at Sportsnet 
uh, named Paul Bromby, and it's going to be dealing with mental health. Uh, again, focusing on that child-parent relationship, but it's going to address mental health in a developmentally appropriate way for children. So, so important right now. And, and so if people want to follow along on social and keep up with you and what you're doing and writing, is there a place for that? Absolutely. So Instagram is going to be your best bet. Facebook, you can go to JR Storytellers and on Instagram, you can at Jason DeRocha, or you could just do at JR Storytellers, JR Junior Storytellers. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jason. Oh, such a pleasure, Candice. Thanks for having me. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidradio.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.